This is Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. It's powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. Hey, entrepreneurs, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of the Shopify Masters podcast. Each week, we put out podcast interviews with successful e-commerce entrepreneurs or experts to give you inspiration, motivation, and actionable tips to increase your traffic and sales so your store can generate the sales you need to live the life you want. In the last episode, Dafina Smith from Sunny'sHair.com explains why you should only focus on what you can do consistently. On today's podcast, you'll learn from an entrepreneur that launched a million-dollar t-shirt business starting with Product Hunt. In this episode, you'll learn how to know if there's room in the market for your t-shirt brand, the traffic and sales impact of being highly ranked on Product Hunt, and how to warm up cold Facebook ad traffic. Today, I'm joined by Max Finn from StartupDrugs.com. That's S-T-A-R-T-U-P-D-R-U-G-Z.com. Startup Drugs is a lifestyle brand for entrepreneurs making kick-ass startup-themed tees, hoodies, posters, mugs, and more. It was started in 2015 and based out of Orlando, Florida. Welcome, Max. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Cool. Yeah. So, Max, yeah, tell us a little bit more about uh, your store and maybe some of the more popular products that you sell. Yeah. So, Startup Drugs is a uh, little venture that we launched in uh, late 2015. Me and my partner Nick Haas, and you know, we had just exited a our first venture back startup, and you know, we kind of lived that life for three and a half years, and, and saw what was happening on Silicon Valley and the TV show and pop culture, and you know, it seemed like everybody had this assumption that being an entrepreneur was really glamorous and you start a company and you get, you know, a billion dollar valuation in the first week. And, you know, that's not the the truth. So we started this little side project, Funny Tees, that kind of spoke to the reality of being an entrepreneur and launched it on Product Hunt. And uh, if you're not familiar with Product Hunt and you have a cool product, you definitely need to do that because it's a huge launch platform. Um, we got like 35,000 uniques to our site in the first week. And uh, we made a ton of mistakes. I can get into that later, but uh, we knew we were onto something. And so we we put a lot more time and resources into it. And kind of flash forward to today, you know, we we did about one hundred fifty thousand dollars in our first year. We're on pace to do about seventy eight times that this year. Um, so it's definitely a fast growing business. And uh, you know, I'd say we have a lot more products than we had the, our first few months in business. One of our shirts, which is our hustle shirt, probably makes about eighty percent of our sales. So um, that's something we can also get into talking about having product diversity because you never know that one product you launch that's going to be huge for your business business. And if we hadn't launched it, we'd probably still be, you know, on pace only do $200,000 this year. Very cool. So um, you said that you already had experience running companies before exited your your venture back startup. Was this the very next big project that you're getting into? Or was it still something that you were thinking about starting on the side while you thought about the next big thing to get into? It's, um, you know, it was kind of at the, at the winding down point of our last venture. And I had always done cons- consulting on the side as well, um, even in college on, on the digital marketing side of things. And so we were kind of in between things. We were, you know, looking to get potentially into the VR and AR space because that's was really exciting stuff for us. And uh, and so it was an in-between point. And we were really we weren't really on to that next thing yet. And you know, this wasn't supposed to be the next thing because it's not a innovative, you know, revolutionary idea. Mm-hmm. It's just selling t-shirts. It's a commodity business. Um, however, there you know, even in commodity businesses, if there's a, a market that's growing that nobody's going after, that's an opportunity. And so as entrepreneurs, we said, well, let's let's just do it. Worst thing that happens is we lost 
a week of our time and, you know, 200 bucks in, you know, get a Shopify theme and store put up. And so it's a super low risk, high reward project for us. And then, you know, we, we had a big peak right off the bat on Product Hunt and, and then it kind of tailed down because we didn't really have, we weren't doing any paid marketing. We were a brand new store. So there wasn't a lot of other traffic sources for us. And so we, you know, kind of went and continued to do our own things and, and launched some other products and started to get involved in some other, uh, other spaces and companies. And Star Drugs kind of was still there and it was growing organically. And it probably wasn't until the summer of 2015 that I, I started to put some more time into the paid marketing side of things, specifically on Facebook. And that's when things really started to go to the next level in terms of tra- traffic and sales and brand recognition. Cool. So you like you mentioned T-shirts and other kind of merchandise like hoodies and and uh, mugs. They are commoditized, like you're saying. But you said that you noticed something in the market that made you think that there was room, or at least enough room, or at least you knew, you felt a big enough hunch that made you want to test it further. What did you see exactly? How did you know that there might be enough? I guess room for a product or a brand like Startup Drugs. There's 26 million entrepreneurs in in North America alone, and so. Uh, just the sheer size of the market and the fact that it, it's growing very fast. And it's something that I think a lot of kids coming out of college nowadays are seeing the Mark Zuckerbergs and the Elon Musks and, and the big figures in our world who are not rock stars or athletes anymore. They're entrepreneurs. And so it's definitely becoming more aspirational. It's becoming more accepted to be a, a quote unquote geek or nerd which is explains me exactly because I just love numbers and, and building things. Um, that's become more popular, normal, and expected, which is what it should be. And so we saw the growth there. We saw the size of the market already. And we saw the fact that the existing players in the industry were really, really focused on, on the inspirational and kind of happy-go-lucky sayings. So uh, not that it's a bad thing that we have plenty of those in our store too. There wasn't any that were like really specific to entrepreneurship in terms of talking uh, with terms and facts and information mm-hmm. that only entrepreneurs would get, right? So th- there are certain sayings and certain insider things that people on the outside of the industry don't know what that means. And so I think that ability to bring kind of the insider terminology and inside jokes and put that into a product and let other people that get it buy it um, that resonated a lot with with our our market. Um, it also got a plenty of pushback, right? So the other thing about our brand is we're super controversial. I mean, I wouldn't say like compared to like really controversial things, but in, in this kind of space as a brand, we get a lot of negative negativity. We get plenty of trolls, plenty of hate. Um, you know, a lot of people saying that no self-respecting entrepreneur wear this, even though we have you know like fifty thousand people that wear our stuff, and some of them are some of the biggest entrepreneurs in the world and VCs in the world. Um, and so that's the other thing is we weren't afraid to, to be controversial. And I think there's a lot of companies out there, especially that I speak to that are just getting started on Shopify or any other platform. And they're afraid to, uh, to really speak the way they want to speak. And they're afraid to make waves and they try to be corporate. And that approach fails nine times out of 10. Um, you know, we, everything we embody as a brand, that's translated into our marketing, into our email marketing, or Facebook ads, into our products, into our messaging on site, um, and that's why we have such a loyal fan base. It's also why we have you know plenty of people that troll us on a regular basis. But I'd much rather people that would never buy from us and don't care about us 
and have a deeper connection and draw in people that are our best customers and make them feel a deeper attachment to us. Mm, that, that makes a lot of sense. And did this kind of hate or this negativity, did it come out early on, like right from the beginning or was it something that developed over time? No, I mean, that, that was pretty much right out of the gate. Um, <laughs> you know, pretty much our, our first Facebook ad. And I, I, I had to pull the, uh, the actual ad itself because it's funny. Um, you know, we had hundreds and hundreds of comments on the ad and, and many of them were very, very positive people tagging their friends and saying, check this out. Um, and there's plenty of people out there that are just, they're just negative people and they don't have anything going on in their lives. And that's, that's how they fulfill something that they're missing inside. Um, the cool thing is that Facebook has seen this and, and it's actually now after this election, it's becoming more and more prominent, Facebook, Twitter, all the social platforms. If you're, if you have a brand page on Facebook, you can now use their publishing tool section to basically automate the filtering of those types of negative comments. So you can use keywords and Facebook will essentially just remove those comments before you have to do it, um, which is, is good for like really negative stuff. I'm also not, I'm not a big believer in like deleting every comment. I think that that's a, a bad look for a brand is if you literally have a hundred percent of the comments on your posts are, this is the best brand in the world. This is so cool. It starts to lose that, that sense of authenticity and being genuine and consumers, especially, you know, our generation, the younger can really sniff BS and can really tell when brands are being authentic or when they're not, you know, really showing the full picture. So I, I do think having some negative comments on the field is, is a good thing and getting rid of all the negativity is, is, uh, can have a negative impact on your brand ironically. Yeah. And I also think that it, it helps, uh, your devoted fans have something to rally behind too. If there's like, you know, a bunch of haters or any people that are negative or negativity coming on board, your devoted fans almost have something to, to not necessarily battle against, but it, it can fire them up as well. And that's always a great way to uh, get more of your, your, your fans who fall even more in love with what you're doing. And so if you saw this right from the beginning, why wasn't it a sign for you guys to, to back off? Like what made you say, you know, even though there's all this negativity, I'm going to keep pushing forward because like you're saying, your brand is not that controversial. And I'm sure other listeners out there have this similar issue every once in a while where there is some negativity, especially in the early days when people maybe doubt them or don't believe in the, the vision. What helped you keep on going even though you were, you know, bumping up against this negativity? So, I mean, there's a few things there. One is, and this is something that's become really big in, in my life right now as a also rolls out a lot of our own products internally. People, and this is kind of a famous Steve Jobs quote, and it also goes back to Henry Ford. You know, Henry Ford said if he had asked people at that time what people wanted, they would have said faster horses. They wouldn't have said cars because there was no cars in the world. And Steve Jobs said the same thing with the iPhone. And so I'm a big believer in the fact that a majority of consumers most of the time don't exact, they don't know what they want. And, and a lot of their viewpoints can be flawed or are not based in the right kind of mindset. And so, you know, we don't let a, a, a few haters or people having negative criticism or comments or about the idea, the concept, the product, messaging, whatever it might be, deter us if we truly believe in the product and we have data that shows that it works. And so those are the two things is if you genuinely believe in yourself and you believe in your product and your service and you think that it a good idea that alone is not enough i mean that that's a critical component of it however if you have that and you also have early data showing that this works people buy this product and we have early customers and early traction 
you can't let a few people saying this is stupid, this is dumb, um, nobody would buy this, tell you to pack your bags up and go. And if you do, I mean that that's a, a sign probably that you're not cut out to be an entrepreneur. And I know that's harsh, but that's the re- it, it just gets more and more uh, scale. I mean, the, the scale of the negativity increases with the size of the business. So um, if you can't handle it at a small, you know, four or five figure a month business, when you get to a six, seven, eight figure a month business, um, that, you know, 2% of people that are negative now looks a lot bigger and you're going to hear a lot more. And so you need to be able to filter it out. Um, you need to be able to focus on the metrics that matter for your business and the percent of people saying negative stuff shouldn't be a factor of that. You know, you just ask Apple, you know, every year Apple has an iPhone and every year there's tens of millions of people who bash it and say there's no more innovation in Apple and it's stupid. Why would anybody pay $800 for an iPhone? Yet every single year there's people lining up two weeks before to buy the product and give Apple $800. So um, I think the, the the short answer to that long rambling is, is you know, you can't just let people sway your 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 company in the sense that if you believe in it and you have early numbers to show that it's it's actually a viable business in terms of you actually paying for the product you should follow that through and not be swayed by by other people mm-hmm. and when you do see this negativity though especially when it's public when it's on your your facebook ads or on your fan page how do you how do you handle it do you respond to it especially if it's in public or what's what have you found the the most effective way to i guess deal with negativity yeah this is a um this is like a super tricky area for, for businesses. And it's, it's something that we still wrestle with, um, especially with like a client, because we get this asked by our clients, we run Facebook campaigns for it. It's like, how should I handle this? How should I deal with this? Um, the, the short answer is that there's there's no like right answer for every brand. It, it depends on the the kind of personality of your brand. For us at Startup Drugs, you know, we're very aggressive and we say what we think and we don't hold back if we're not, you know, we don't put a filter on anything. So for our brand, it does make sense to um, be somewhat confrontational to a degree. Like mm-hmm. we don't, you know, if people are totally out of right field and it's very, very hateful, um, you know, we don't engage at a, at a serious level there. Um, so a lot of our engagements are usually equally sarcastic. It's not like a serious um, argument in the sense that like, we're not going to get into like a deep heated political debate with somebody um, in regards to our brand. We might like, crack a joke. We might, you know, reference something like, you know, somebody one time wrote, uh, no, let the entrepreneur wear a t-shirt or something like something really stupid like that. And so our response was we just grabbed like a picture of Zuckerberg, like every like billionaire entrepreneur and just like created a graphic saying their net worth over each one and posted that back. Um, so we'll do things like that. And, and, and that's super uh, it's not super in your face. It, it doesn't make us look bad. It, it's funny if it's our brand. Um, at this point too, we have most of our customers now because we've grown so much handle it for us. And so that's kind of the point where we recognize that we were really onto something when we started having our fans actually engage trolls and negative people for us and kind of put shutting them down for us. And we didn't have to really worry about it anymore. Um, but it's definitely a fine line and it's definitely something that you need to make sure you don't engage in the same same level of negativity that if you do engage, it's gotta be, um, you gotta take the higher road and you gotta be lighthearted about it. 
you can't kind of stoop down to that level because that's a bad look and that's what people that do that look for is to try to bring you down to that level so you you kind of fight the the same type of battle you know word wise um so you can engage keep it lighthearted um you know leverage your brand personality when dealing with it um and try to you know make an environment where your your fans and your supporters can can be there to support the brand and, and deal with this for you yeah, I agree with that answer too about how it varies from brand to brand because like you're saying, because of the nature of your brand, because of the messaging behind startup drugs, it makes sense to be to push back a little bit, right? Because you know, you're an entrepreneur, you're representing entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs shouldn't just roll over whenever somebody starts, you know, negatively bashing their business. So it makes sense for you to push back while another brand, maybe a luxury brand or something, needs to be a little bit more I won't say apologetic, but it has to have a softer touch than, than that. So I think, like you're saying, it varies. And I think the key thing is to uh, stay uh, aligned with your brand and stay aligned with what people would expect uh, your brand to, to do. And I think that's exactly what you guys are doing with with kind of pushing back, but in kind of a friendly way and trying to disarm the situation rather than to elevate it. Um, so... Oh, you're saying you can't base the validity of a product or business just based on comments, especially if there's a lot of negativity around it. How did you guys validate? Like, what, what have you found to, to work well to validate if a product or a brand or um, an idea is worth pursuing? Yeah, so you definitely need to have – so there's, there's a few ways here. Um, some are, are things we do internally with our agency to um, to, uh, to roll out new products, and then I'll tell you the one for startup drugs. So for startup drugs – you know, we found a, a launch platform and that platform for us is product hunt. And for a lot of companies, if you're a B2C product company, um, making software, physical products, hardware, uh, product hunt is a great platform for that. Uh, it's, it's been around for over three years now. We've launched several companies throughout the life cycle of product hunt. So it's been interesting to see its power grow in terms of driving traffic and validating concepts. Um, you know, Ryan Hoover is the founder there has built something really magical that every day, in case you don't know what product hunt is, there are hundred, you know, people can hunt products, which means they can post them up there similar to Reddit and, and the community then upvotes those product services on a daily basis. And the ones that have the most votes along with other factors that go into the algorithm, get into the, and you know, if you're in the top three or five on product on each day, especially today, you're going to get, you know, 10, 20,000 plus visitors to your site probably in the day to two day window because then they also send out follow-up emails the next day. And so for us, Product Hunt was a great platform to to launch on and to get immediate market feedback and validation. Um, it doesn't work every time because there's plenty of times you can put something up there and it just, you might have launched it on the same day that Apple came up with a new product or Google or, or Uber came up with a new product and you have no chance to uh, to rank high there. So you know if, if Product Hunt or Reddit or another launch platform isn't available to you, uh, you know, I would look at taking a small budget, a small you know, Facebook ad budget, and, and running some test ads where you essentially are just asking for direct market feedback. Um, you know, we're working on an internal product right now in the professional wrestling space that I, I can't go into like the specific product, the, the, you know, the product, but um, you know, we did some really specific targeting and essentially just asked people, um, is this something that you would do? And we have a lead gen out of Facebook books we're collecting their email address and we've been getting an insane amount of opt-ins um you know our cost per lead there is like 10 cents so we we knew we were onto something there as well and now we have a a initial customer list that we can broadcast to when we roll the product out 
we have validation directly from the customer. We know that this is something they paid for, and we also know exactly what they paid for it. So it, it really comes down to the type of product. It comes down to um, you know what space, what platform is really available and most accessible for, for you as a, a company based on your industry and type of product. Um, but there's a lot of ways, and I think a lot of it has to do with simply asking. And I think that there's a uh, a lot of, of entrepreneurs out there, and I definitely fell into this bucket early on that uh, don't ask for feedback as much as they should and, and don't take advantage of, of the amazing technology communication technology today to get instantaneous feedback from very, very specific people. And so that should definitely be taken into consideration when you're launching your product is, you know, you have almost immediate access to 1.5 billion people on a daily basis and just comes down to who you're going to target and what questions just assuming that you know I'm not going to ask anybody and I'm just going to roll with it and launch my product and cross my fingers and hope that it works. Very cool. Yeah, Product Hunt is definitely a, like you're saying, a very uh, great platform to launch on because there is just such a targeted audience on there. But like you're saying, you have to be launching something in, in I guess in that space where there are tech people involved or or start or your product is targeting tech folks or you know millennials and people more in that that age bracket. Um, but I think it does apply still for a lot of different products, a lot of different companies out there. So tell us about your experience. Like how do you how does someone even get on Product Hunt in the first place? Yeah, so it, it used to be a lot easier. So this is, um, you know, my dilemma as a a, uh, a digital marketer is a marketer that also does coaching consulting is a lot of the stuff that I do. I beta test a lot of things for Facebook. I beta test a lot of things for for other uh, big marketing companies, and the, the stuff you beta test has incredible results because nobody else is doing it. And it's small circle people doing it, um, such as like before Facebook rolled out video ads, I was able to do that. And that was crazy. And so you had this dilemma as a digital marketer where um, you could be selfish and you could take advantage of all these features and, and not show that to the world and crush it and make a lot of money for yourself. Or you can bring that to everybody and teach as many people as possible. And that's you know going to level the playing field a little bit because not everybody's going to be doing it. And so it's kind of the same thing with Product Hunt where you know we were launching a product Hunt before it was a, a huge home run success that everyone knew about, you know, two or three years ago. And and so two or three years ago, pretty much anybody could hunt anything and the chances of getting in the top 10 were pretty, pretty easy. Nowadays, um, it's a whole, you know, there's books written about getting a product on ebooks and stuff um, and strategies. And so the most common one is to find a, uh, a hunter who's been on product hunt for a long time who hunts a lot of the best and top products and reaching out to them and trying to initiate a dialogue and, you know, don't be pitchy because that's the last thing somebody like that wants is to get sold constantly. Um, but simply to ask, you know, for their, you know, for 10 minutes of their time to show them a product or something and get their feedback. Um, and hopefully be able to, to sell somebody like that and convince them about the coolness of the product and value of the product and get them to agree to, to hunt something. Uh, but it's, it's a very fine line because, the the team of product hunt and Ryan Hoover and everybody are very uh, secure and careful about not letting the platform be gamed mm-hmm. um, or monopolized because that defeats the entire point of the product. Is if you can game it and and artificially get your startup on there and rank really high, it defeats the reason they created the company. So um, that's probably one of the few strategies that works is, is finding that person that you know has done a lot of 
um, hunting and reaching out to them. And there's a lot of websites up there that like show leaderboards and, and on that on that front. So you could actually go through view, you know, who are the top people that have done that and what types of companies do they hunt and, and reaching out to them via their you know Twitter handle or Facebook or Instagram. Because it's not like Reddit where anybody can just post anything with Product Hunt. You have to be, I guess, authorized to post on on Product Hunt. Yeah, at this point, it's it's changed. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So once your product it does make it on Product Hunt, I guess in your case, once the the uh, startup drugs did make it on there, what what did you do? Like, what should you be doing while your product is um, successfully hunted by somebody that that uh, like you're saying hunts a lot on Product Hunt? So you know, the one thing you want to be sure to do, especially today. Day is have somebody in your team like on there all day answering questions and engaging with the community um, because that's a big factor too in their ranking algorithm is frequency of comments and the level of engagement from the company. Because the last thing they want to do is is highlight a company that has zero engagement from the company on it. Um, they, they can't answer the questions or provide feedback to people that are interested. So you definitely want to have someone dedicated in your team that is is answering questions, providing feedback, um, doing doing kind of a, a AMA style, Reddit style product on day. And so that's on, on the day. You also want to make sure like your site, your store or splash page or whatever it might be that you have live at that time has some references to product hunt. Um, if you're selling a product, you probably want to offer some type of discount or special offer to product hunt users. Product hunt loves that. And they actually have like an icon that they can reference on the, on your product on that day that show you're doing something special like that. And so we usually use like a, uh, you can use like hello bar or something for your store to put up a little message at the top of your store saying, you know, welcome product hunters, use code XYZ today to get 20% off your order. And so that's something you also would want to do is, is make some type of exclusive offer for the product hunt community. Mm-hmm. And when you were running this, uh, when, when, you, when your um, company, when, when Startup Drugs was featured on Product Hunt, what metrics were you looking at to to validate whether it would be worth pursuing or not? Were you looking at anything specific? Yeah, so we were, um, you know, we were, we were looking at unique daily visits, and we were looking obviously at, at purchases and sales. So, um, you know, if if I went back in time right now, a year, year and a half, and, and and saw the the traffic we got and the sales we got. Um, I probably kicked myself because we got uh, if we had our conversion rates we have today a year and a half ago, we probably would have you know done, done like fifty thousand dollars in sales that day. But mm-hmm. um, unfortunately, we we the store wasn't optimized. We weren't captured. I mean, we were doing a lot of things wrong uh, on that front. Um, and so you know we were really focused just on you know are, are people coming to the site? What are they doing when they get here and can follow following that? experience and two are they actually buying things um and then we were also looking obviously at the the direct feedback on the the page on product hunt in terms of comments and people's overall opinion on it and so the overwhelming opinion on the page that day was this is a great idea i love this i'm gonna buy a few shirts so um you know between those kind of uh, those three different metrics of sales traffic and and market feedback we definitely knew that there was there was something there, and then it continued, right? It didn't just stop that day. Um, we had a really really strong week, so we had people talking about it. It was very you know, highly shared on social. We had people coming back and and you know recovering their cart and buying things. So um, we definitely knew between all that that there was something there at least to pursue. And it, it's a pretty low risk thing, and that's the beauty of Shopify. Is you know if you have a, a, a cool idea, you can get a you know you can start selling it in an hour. And it's pretty 
cool that you can, you know, turn an idea into a sellable product on a, on a weekend pretty much. And, and so for us, it was so low risk to pursue it. And we knew the upside was there that as an entrepreneur, when you find a situation where there's really, really low risk and high reward, that's a kind of entrepreneur's dream right there. Yeah, definitely. So when you are on a launch platform like Product Hunt or getting a lot of traffic from Reddit, uh, what 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 would you what should you be doing? Because you said that you know you're kicking yourself now because the the site wasn't as optimized as it is today. The conversion rates have drastically improved since that that first thing on Product Hunt. Uh, what would you do differently to to make sure you got the most value out of that that burst in traffic for that week? Yeah, so there, there's a list of things. The the first is. Um, you know, having a, a lead collection system up front. So whether you're using SumoMe or JustUno, um, we use JustUno now to collect emails on first-time visits. So offering some type of discount, whether it's free shipping or 10% off in exchange for an email address is something we do up front for all of our sites. And that's a, a no-brainer at this point um, to be doing that. You know, if you don't want to be as intrusive with a pop-up, you can use a kind of a, uh, Uno bars, what just, Uno calls it, which is the small top or bottom bar. That's a little less intrusive for collecting emails. Um, we use exit intent. So exit intent pop-ups are huge. Essentially exit intent is the ability to show a pop-up or an offer to somebody that's about to leave the site. So it uses mouse tracking technology and can see the person's going to the red, you know, the dreaded red button in the top of their browser. And so we'll hit people with a 15 to 20% offer if we know they're going to leave. And that specific offer alone probably increased our sales. I think last night I checked, it was like 15% a month. And so for us, it's huge. To, if, you know, if you can do one thing that brings in a 5% increase or even a 4% increase, that's worth doing. So to have a 10, 15% increase. So exit intent, lead collection up front is huge. Um, Having some type of chat mechanism on the site, we use messenger integration. So um, because we do so much stuff with Facebook, people have questions. And if you built the site, you don't see it in the same – you have kind of blinders on. So you don't see it in the same perspective as somebody that's never been to the site before. And so they're going to have questions you couldn't even think of. And having somebody there, whether it's you in the first days because you're a one-man company, one-woman company, is, is really key. To answer, you know, live feedback on the site is huge. Um, you know, we use a, a live sales ticker called Credible, which we love, and that kind of shows sales in real time. That helps build uh, credibility, authority, and trust, which, which is you know, kind of three psychological triggers for non-Walmart, Target, Amazon stores that we as entrepreneurs have to overcome. Which is, you know, does anybody buy from this company? Is it a scam you know there's a lot of variables you have to overcome as a new store owner and so adding things like that that show you know bob in wisconsin just bought this shirt and sally in florida just bought this shirt um that's for us as well the you know retargeting side of things is huge so even if you don't have a facebook ad budget right now and you can't run ads you still get your facebook pixel installed and custom audiences created because that's data that's coming to your store really really valuable data that without a pixel installed, you're just letting disappear. And it's, it's pretty much, in my opinion, the same thing as letting just money come into your site and, and fall out of it. So uh, Shopify, again, has uh, made that process incredibly easy. It used to be you had to do some coding to, to set up the pixel and track all the right 12 standard events. And now you can just put your, your pixel ID in there, just like Google Analytics ID, to track your, your Facebook pixel. Um, so definitely putting your pixel, setting up custom audiences, 
and then also Google Analytics. So you need to be able to understand where people are coming from, what they're doing on the site, and more importantly, what's causing them to leave. So where is the bounce happening on the site? Is the bounce rate high? Um, what traffic source is the highest bounce rate? All that data is so valuable, especially early on with your store when you're, you're brand new, uh, because that's going to determine you know which areas of your site you spend time optimizing, working on what product lines you expand on. So those are you know there's obviously I could go on all day talking about uh, you know apps and tools and things you should use in your store to to optimize conversions, but those are kind of the base that should be in every single store day one. Yeah, definitely. So I want to talk a little bit about all those um, uh, tips that you gave. Before we get there, I want to close out one thing is about these uh, the initial products that you had for sale on the site when you had this big surge of traffic. Because uh, I think there's a lot of listeners out there that are thinking about starting a business for the first time. And you know, T-shirts are one of the easiest ways to get your, kind of, uh, your, your toe in the water. So did you have many designs created at the time? Like, how did they get done? Like, what what did you have ready or, or for sale on the site on that uh, that initial uh, that test that you ran with Product Hunt? Yes. So um, I'm lucky. I would say I'm lucky, but um, I have like the most. I'm kind of versatile in terms of my skill set. So I'm a digital marketer who also is an operations guy. That's where I started out on. Um, with a finance background, but I also then taught myself to code and design. So I kind of, when I first started my last company, which is a tech startup, I had no idea about any code and I taught myself a necessity. So today I kind of have, I'm by no means an expert. I can uh, sell BS and I can do stuff on my own. And so like the store design first version today has all been me, the, the shirt designs I, I designed and so I didn't have to outsource anything, which is a huge advantage, um, especially when you're starting like a t-shirt poster company. Um, you know, in terms of like launching your store, you, you definitely want to have a, a variety of products. And I don't have the, the magic number. I'm sure there's data out there that shows like the perfect number of, of variants to launch with. Um, I think we launched with, I'd uh, say, 10, 10 different t-shirts and five or six posters. And so that was our total product catalog on launch day, which I think was the higher end of what I've seen other stores launch with. And so from experience, I can say that the the more variance and the more options you give consumers or you put on your store, the greater the chance you're going to find that home run. And so for us, if you look at our first shirts we put up there and then you compare that to today's sales, you know, the fewer shirts that we've launched in the last like four or five months make up 90 to 95% of our sales. So all of our initial shirts um, in the grand scheme of things, you know, are, are, are really terrible sellers. And so I, if we had, you know, put up more designs and more options and did V-necks and crew necks and women's style shirts, we probably would have made a lot more money, but it's always a, you know, opportunity cost. It's, you know, how much time do I have to put into this? And, you know, I don't want to spend days and days and days putting up all kinds of variants if, if the whole concept isn't working. And so I'd rather validate the concept in general and then work to add more SKUs and variants and get direct feedback from customers because that's what we got. Like after the first launch, we heard, hey, I'm not a fan of 100% cotton shirts or we had a lot of female entrepreneurs that wanted female styles and, and women cuts. And, and so, so we started working to do that. And that's still a struggle even today is everybody wants something different. So people want, I want a red color. I don't want black or I want a 
deep V-neck or I want a tank top. And, and so it's a real challenge of filtering out everything and focusing on only adding a few things at a time because if you try to please everybody, you're never going to get anything done. And so I think, you know, picking, you know, eight to 12 different options to watch your store on and constantly getting feedback and consistently having a plan of, okay, the next month we're going to add these few options and, and really scheduling that out is kind of the best way to go about it because it's just not feasible to do everything at once. Mm, makes sense. So when you, you get this this feedback, like you're saying, it's super important because you want to try out all these different products, whether it be t-shirts, whatever other products you're selling, you want to try out a different a bunch and you kind of put it out there and then get feedback from your, your customers, your potential customers. What was an effective way for you to get this kind of feedback? Were people just emailing you or how are they getting or how are you getting their, their feedback on the different products that you're putting out there? Yeah, so a lot of it was... Um, well, was customer initiated. So we get a, a lot of emails on a daily basis. And a lot of them were about, you know, hey, do you guys plan on making this in a hoodie sometime soon? Or do you plan on making this into a, a female cut? And so every time we would get that, we would document it. We have it in Google Sheet. Uh, okay, we just got this request again. We got this request again. This is a new request. Um, we also get a lot of shirt ideas. We have an Excel, we have a Google Sheet with probably 500 different different shirt ideas, you know, 300 of them probably are internal ideas and 200 are from customers. And so, um, we, in the early days, weren't as active with, with going out and, and soliciting that feedback. We should have, uh, a lot of it was just initiated by the, the customer. There's a lot of ways that as a store owner, you can initiate that loop. And so you can run, you know, you put a Facebook post up with a carousel ad with five different shirt designs or five different shirt colors options simply ask say hey which one do you guys like more um and 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 really initiate that feedback i think and this goes back to what i was talking about earlier people's perception that like asking potential customers or prospects questions is a bad thing or it's going to annoy people or piss people off that like surveys are kind of like a dirty word and nobody wants to do surveys or polls because they're from the 90s and they're not cool and nobody wants to do it and the reality is that people like sharing their opinion i mean everybody's opinion everyone wants to share their opinion and that's why more prominent today than it is even five ten years ago so everybody wants to be heard everybody has an opinion they want to be valued and so opening that channel that dialogue with prospects and giving them an outlet to do that um, is a win-win because it, it gets the feedback and the data you need but it also shows that you value their opinion their feedback which has its own benefits um so i i wouldn't be afraid to to create surveys to create polls. Don't go crazy and ask for more information than you need. Keep it simple. Keep it short. Do just a few questions. Um, potentially have some type of reward system in place to to benefit them. If you can't offer you know, a gift card to everybody, maybe you do a contest or a raffle to enter in or something. So there's always ways to get creative with how you reward people. Very cool. So one thing you mentioned earlier about uh, the metrics that you look at is the bounce rate. So you said you looked at two different, um, I guess, uh, sources of bounce rate. One is where is the referral traffic coming from that results in a high bounce rate? And then also which pages on your own site that results in a high bounce rate? So maybe starting with the the the, um, the pages on your site that have a high bounce rate, how do you begin to diagnose the issue or, or, optim- or then eventually optimize that page to reduce that bounce rate? Yes, I mean, the, the first thing is you need to be able to actually uh, identify 
what the bounce rate is and where it's happening. So Google Analytics is a great tool for the basic stuff. There's also tools like Hotjar out there that, that allow you to actually watch in real time, get heat maps, get a much more detailed look at pages. Um, so you know, we, we look at the data, we understand, okay, you know, home page is where majority of the traffic's coming from. It has a 40% bounce rate. Uh, affiliate traffic is a 10%, search engines 12, you know, pay traffic might be 45, 50%. Um, and then we test. And so the the tough thing with e-commerce stores as opposed to you know, when we build out click funnels at landing pages for for, uh, for our marketing funnels is like landing pages are a lot easier to A-B test because it's a single page. You can easily duplicate. You can test button colors. You can test headlines. When you're dealing with entire stores, it's a little harder because there's so many more variables to test and there's so many pages. Um, you know, we usually look at a few big things. We look at, you know, uh, we look at pricing. Pricing is a huge thing that I don't think enough people test and has a huge factor on why people would just leave a site right off. Um, you know, product images is a big thing we test. Testimonials, user-generated content, um, you know, product descriptions, uh, you know, kind of navigation elements we test a lot. Um, navigation is probably one of the bigger things because if you, you have the wrong words up there or you make it too difficult to find products or too difficult to check out, you're going to lose people. And so that's what it comes down to too, is like, you know, the more difficult and the more steps involved for a customer to give you money, the less likely you're going to be to get money from that customer. And so shorting that cycle and shorting that window is huge. Unfortunately, Shopify has a three-step checkout process, which is kind of frustrating. Um, although there are tools out there that you can override that, but that definitely doesn't help. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, for us, it, it's, it's a, it's a, constant work. You're never done A-B testing until you have 100% conversion rate. And so it, you can test pretty much an infinite number of elements on your site. You just need to be able to understand, um, you know, one, when I do change this element, making sure I give it enough time and actually track the right metrics and identify, you know, what's a, a big enough margin of error that I know that if, you know, this isn't just a fluke. And that's the other issue with e-commerce stores is that there are there's so many variables in it that it can sometimes be misleading when you make changes um for example like if you had run a a b testing campaign last month and you had changed you know or let's say you ran it this month and last month it was the same and this month you changed the you know the product descriptions and navigation and sales went up 15 20 percent this month the, the challenge is that it's november this month and this is peak shopping time mm-hmm. and last month was a very slow month and so that, that's another challenge with A-B testing and being able to isolate those conditions. And if you're an existing store, it's a little easier because you can look at historic data. November, and that's a more apples to apples, whereas comparing it um, November to you know, September or August is not necessarily apples to apples. So um, it's definitely, you know, I wish I had like a, a special formula for it. It's definitely a labor of love and it's definitely something that you constantly need to be doing and experimenting and testing and and uh you know it's, it's never something you're, you're you're totally finished with we do it every day with startup not every day but it's something we can continue to do with startup drugs even with the store being really successful 
Very cool. So one of the things that you mentioned in the pre-interview questions about the one of the keys to your success is that you said that was creating marketing funnels and attracting cold traffic to your store and then maximizing the customer lifetime value of that traffic. Can you say a little bit more about this? Like what is what is your and guess generally speaking, what does your funnel look like? So the the challenge with a, a business like startup drugs as opposed to a a non-commodity type business is that the, the model of cold traffic being directed to a sales page and expecting them to buy a product is really, really tough and it's flawed for so many reasons. And it 99% of the time doesn't work. Um, you know, our funnels with not just startup drugs, but with all of our agency clients, all customers that I consult with or coach with, whether it's 3M or a small mom and pop shop, is you know that that initial traffic, that initial cold traffic traffic that's never heard of your company before, um, it needs to be warmed up before you ask them to buy something. And so as a marketer and as a, a person that creates a product or a service, you're creating a product or service to either solve a problem or address a pleasure point for a consumer. Those are kind of the two options you have as a, a, a company um, as to why somebody would buy your product. They either have a problem and you're offering the solution or it's, you know, they have something they really are passionate about and enjoy and you have a way to address that, like a vacation or something. Um, and so what we do with all of our funnels is up front, we don't sell anything. We'll either run traffic to a blog or we'll do a video or an infographic that begins to highlight a problem. And so if we're selling, you know, one of our clients has a product that helps you uh, go to sleep, stay asleep, and wake up really refreshed in the morning. Um, you know, we were running infographics and videos that are highlighting the problems of sleep. So we, we have a video, it's, you know, 10 things that could harm your health by not getting enough sleep or six ways to get a better night's sleep. And so essentially what we're doing there is we're pre-qualifying buyers up front because we're getting them to raise their hand essentially virtually and saying, this is a topic that's relevant to me. You know, I am interested in learning how to get a better night's sleep because I'm watching this video or I'm going to this blog post. And then we'll, you know, depending on the price of the product, if it's a really expensive product, we might have to throw in a few more steps in between that of nurturing that prospect, agitating the problem, really pushing the, you know, the negativities and the, the consequences that come with that problem, and then beginning to highlight the solution and the value prop of the solution. So if, you know, people watched 50% of the video on Facebook, we have a custom audience that we're retargeting of 50% watchers and above. If somebody read the article and spent, you know, a minute on a page, we'll retarget those people and get into the next step. And then we'll begin to pitch the product. Um, but even in that, at that point, it's still a, a tough sell to, even if they're a little warmer, um, you still need to overcome a lot of hurdles in the buying cycle. And so we'll then use things like uh, press awards, testimonials, user-generated content to, to push them over the edge um, because those are kind of the variables that most people have uh, uh, need kind of a hand-holding to get through the buying process unless you're an Amazon or a Target or a company that already has those elements in place. Um, and then on the retargeting front beyond that, if they get to the add-to-cart, they're, they're much further down the funnel, then we'll look at things like you know pricing because if we've gotten somebody to that point where they've come to the site, they view the product, they add the product to the cart, and they started the checkout process and they didn't buy. There's usually two reasons why they didn't do that. One is the the price is an issue. Potentially they're waiting for a deal or a sale. The other is that they got distracted potentially, or they're not ready to buy. Maybe they're going to buy for holidays. 
And so either of those elements we address in our retargeting campaigns, we'll either offer them a, a reminder or we'll offer them a discount, usually starting with free shipping, working its way up to a 25% one-time discount on like a 24-hour loop that, that's only eligible for that day. Um, and the same thing happens with our email follow-ups. So it's you know Facebook marketing and then email automation, um, you know, part of it that will kind of follow the same lot. Cool. Yeah. So for a store owner out there, do they need to have this entire funnel built out before they ever drive traffic through it? Or can it be something that's taken step by step? I mean, my, my, my two cents is that uh, uh, you definitely need to have the foundation there. Uh, I think the problem is with, with most businesses, and this isn't just small business owners, we, we've seen this shockingly at some Fortune 500 companies, is 100% of their time and money goes into acquiring traffic. Mm -hmm. So everything's about getting people to my store. And there's no work, there's no time, there's no money spent on getting them back and maximizing the value. And so, you know, I did a podcast three weeks ago with ClickFunnels where a lot of the conversation was about, you know, once you get that customer, it's shocking how many businesses never follow up with that person and, and never try to match maximize that that purchase they never try to upsell or cross sell them or engage with them or solicit their referral or their feedback um so i, I think it's really important i know you can't do everything as once if you're a small business owner it's hard to do all this especially if you're not technical and, and you don't have the time and bandwidth to build out an entire marketing funnel that being said if you're going to pay money to acquire traffic you 100 need to have a return path for your customer um otherwise you're really really you know you might as well kind of just throw that money out the window or, or burn mm -hmm. most of it because the chances of you getting a direct sale from that cold traffic are, and so you need to have that return path. You need to have retargeting at a basic, basic level, at least abandoned cart um, to get people back. And then you also need to, to remember that once somebody buys from you, they're five times more likely to buy from you again than a cold traffic is likely to buy from you. And so, you know, we do a lot of upselling and cross-selling on Facebook post-purchase. We also do it right after their purchase directly on the store. And we also have a lot of email sequences. Like we know that the average customer reorders after 40 days. 40 days is the time period that majority of our customers, repeat customers reorder. So on day 39 and day 40, we have an email that goes out showing them our new products and giving them a special VIP offer. And so little things like that just paying attention to what customers are doing and engaging with them dramatically increases the lifetime value of the customer, which in turn makes all your marketing efforts more profitable. Mm, I, I like this approach of multiple touch points during this warm-up period and not just driving them to the product page. And you mentioned that retargeting is something that you use a lot, not just for uh, just for people that are visiting the, the product pages, but if they're just coming to watch a video, look at an infographic or read a blog, you still retarget them after that. Do you also invest in getting them to, to opt into an email list? Like, what do, you, what do you find is more successful, the retargeting when you're still warming up the user or, or sorry, the customer or or the the opt-in um, honestly that that really depends on the uh, the type of product industry and the price of the product um, if somebody if we're selling a five thousand dollar informational product or, or event ticket or something um, we'll probably our our first interaction or first ask from the customer post like vetting them with with content is going to be a legion out on facebook or an opt-in form or sometimes believe that magnet, we know it's going to take more communication and more engagement with that prospect to get them to be a customer. And it's a lot 
cheaper to do, do half of that on email and half of that on Facebook than to try to do all of that on Facebook. So we'll spend the money to acquire the lead up front. Then we have them pixeled. We have their email so we can hit them on Facebook with retargeting. And then we can also put them to an email sequence. And then even beyond that, we have tools that can connect our email system, whether it's Infusionsoft or MailChimp, with our Facebook ad account. So we know that if this person gets this email and opened it but didn't click on the link, we can then retarget you know, everything we do is connected. It's intertwined. Nothing is kind of independent or doing its own thing. So the, the goal of every every post, whether it's on Facebook or email or so organic social or whatever it might be, has a purpose and is designed to take a lot of people on the top of the funnel and weed them out and push them down to a really, really hot buyer at the bottom of the funnel. Makes sense. So you mentioned uh, the um, carousel ads, these lead gen ads on Facebook. I think you also mentioned dynamic product ads in the pre-interview questions. Uh, what's your experience been like with all these Facebook ads? Like, Which ones do you use at which different points? Yeah, so um, again, it, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, contextual in the sense that it depends on the business and the product. Uh, you know, carousel website conversion ads for a like a physical goods company, a company that's selling actual physical products, works really well. So I would say ninety percent of our ads at Startup Drugs are carousel ads, and we're highlighting our you know five to ten best selling T-shirts in the actual carousel. We'll work in you know customer photos. We'll work in testimonials and reviews into those ads. Um, so those work incredibly well, especially early on in the funnel, and for our initial retargeting. Uh, dynamic product ads and so you know dynamic product ads essentially connect our product catalog with our, our pixel and our ad account um, so we can actually show personalized ads to people based on which products they looked at which products they bought which products they added to the cart and those ads do incredibly well in terms of ROI we're um, I created some for a buddy of mine running another e-commerce company and, and we did a up sell dynamic product ad campaign for them. We probably put it up maybe a month ago. And I think that ad we spent maybe 2000 bucks on it and it's done about 55,000 in sales. And we just put up a cross sell one that's maybe an 8X ROI. And so those ads are rock star in terms of ROI. The challenge with those ads is they're only there if there's traffic. And so I think a lot of people want the, the 10X ROI campaigns. They don't want the 1X or the break even campaigns. And you need to realize that in order to get to the 10x, 20x, or 30x campaigns, you need to have a lot of traffic that gets to that point. And so uh, it's important to look at your whether you're doing paid Facebook, paid Pinterest, whatever it might be, you're looking at the campaign as a whole and not the individual pieces. Because if you look at the individual pieces alone without context, you might turn things off that ruin the entire funnel, the entire campaign. So you need to understand that if I'm spending – $200 a day on my first touchpoint campaign to drive cold traffic, and I'm only making 150 bucks, 200 bucks a day, and I'm, maybe I'm losing a little money on it. But down on the funnel, I have this dynamic product ad that I'm spending $20 a day and making $2,000 that combining them together, you have a profitable campaign. And so it's important to look at all the parts together as a whole and not just the individual parts because especially with retargeting, they're interconnected and they depend on each other. 
Very cool. So, you know, I think that's like an, an amazing approach for building out a funnel, especially when it comes to if you can only use Facebook is to have all these different types of ads. Like you're saying, uh, you have to look at the entire campaign as a whole and not just individual types of ads, because like you're saying, you need to drive traffic first before the other ads pay off. Um, so where do you want to see the business go in the next year? Like, Where do you want to see startup drugs? And I know I think off air, you're saying that this is something that you guys are doing on the side, but uh, is this something that you, you want to turn into a much larger business over time yeah i think it's um for me it's exciting for a few reasons one is um we spend a lot of money with facebook so it gives me the ability to test a lot of cool new things that facebook's rolling out whether it's for facebook directly or instagram um and so for even if facebook and even if startup drugs wasn't profitable and didn't make money i would still want to keep running it for that reason alone because i can bring those strategies to agency clients which is exciting um and i'm a geek and so so I like doing that stuff and it's fun. Um, that being said, for, for me, I think for startup drugs, the, the long-term play there also is um, building, turning the community into a profitable aspect of the business. So we have our products that we sell and those are great, but we have so many incredible customers that are people that I've gotten to talk to on a one-on-one level that a year ago, two years ago, I looked up to and we're like you know, idols of mine and now we're kind of on the same playing field and get to chat and, and hang out. Um, and so that's been super, super rewarding. And those people want to share their stories and they, we've done, we've tested the water, we're doing some interviews and stuff. And so I think there's a, a content play with startup drugs that could be really interesting where we leverage our community because our customers aren't just a typical customer. Like if we were selling just, you know, funny t-shirts or just to a normal regular crowd, you know, we just have customers. All of our customers are really really successful entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs that are looking to be successful and working really hard. And so we have a really interesting customer base. Plus we have VCs, we have angel investors, we have social media influencers. So um, leveraging that community and building a, a content hub that can help some of our customers that are just getting started or other entrepreneurs learn and better themselves, just like you're doing with Shopify Swarners is really exciting, potentially doing events, um, so they're all things that we've been testing the water on and exploring and and, uh, and something that I think in the long term could be an interesting play for startup drugs is going beyond just being a typical product company and being more of a movement. Uh, and then on, and the other side of things, too, is like you know doing good is really important to me and being involved on the nonprofit side or the B Corp side is really, really important. So um, being able to take what we do and actually help the community and help kids that, you know, might be struggling to find their source and the tools to um, to start their own business. Or beyond that, you know, you don't need to start your own business to benefit from entrepreneur lessons. I think lessons that are taught by successful founders and entrepreneurs are not just about how to launch a cool tech product. I think they're, they're life lessons. And there's discipline ethics that entrepreneurs have that aren't taught in the mainstream. That it's not something you learn in school, unfortunately. It's something that you learn by doing. And so if we can take what we've learned by, you know, working 24, seven, 365 days a year for years and years and years and, and give that back to the community, either through knowledge or whatever we might do, I think there's, there's a lot to be done on that side of it as well. And that's really important to, to me, it's important to the people I work with. Very exciting feature then. So thanks so much again, Maxwell. Startupdrugs.com is the website. Anywhere else you recommend our listeners check out, they want to follow along with what you're up to? Sure. So, I mean, you can, uh, you know, if you go to facebook.com uh, backslash Maxwell Finn, you can follow me there. You can follow us on Instagram. 
Um, you can follow me on Twitter, but I post a lot of stuff on Facebook, uh, a lot of live videos, and, and specifically about Facebook marketing and stuff we're doing on the agency. So um, you know, feel free to reach with the Z.com. Cool. Yeah, we'll link all that up in the show notes. Again, thanks so much again for your time, Maxwell. Thanks, Felix. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com slash masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial.